everyone. Welcome back to the CTYA podcast. We are so glad that you joined us here today. Sit back, relax, get out your favorite pencil, your favorite notebook. May you be blessed in the Lord. That doesn't mean that uh, that we shouldn't hear about it or learn, but it, it's fundamental to who we are. Right. And in the topic of the new birth, that defines each and every one of us. When we are filled with the Spirit, baptized in Jesus' name. When we're born again, we have been born again. That that defines me. Right. I'm a I'm a believer. I'm a born again believer. And so, um, for a few minutes, I want to talk to you about why why the new birth. I'm not going to be long, mainly because this is all the water I have. So um, nobody worry, nobody panic. Um, but there is so much to cover when we talk about the new birth. There are so many things to, to dig into. And so I hope, and my prayer is tonight, that what we talk about, what we discuss, what we learn is what is essential. All right. So first we have to decide what is the new birth. What is the new birth? And, and to somebody who is unfamiliar with kind of the language that we use in church, something like that, like the new birth, is kind of difficult to understand. And on our Bible study tonight, the story that I'm going to talk to you about, it began with a misunderstanding like that. So there are certain nuances, phrases, right? So the grass is greener on the other side. Never throw stones in a glass house. The glass is half full. These things speak of things, of green grass, of stones, glass houses, half glass full of water. But are those things intended to be a part of the meaning of those sayings? No. So the grass is greener on the other side. What does that refer to? What? I, what is it? it's, it's better outside of, of where you're at right now. Um, okay, so never throw stones in a glass house. What does that mean? Has anyone ever heard that? Okay, all right, cool. Everyone was like, uh, I don't know what she's saying. It refers to check yourself before you start judging others. If you live in a glass house, you're not going to start throwing stones at people. right? So the glass is half full. What does that refer to? Optimism, right? So... The situation's got to look up. Like, let's be optimistic. Um, these sayings are actually really common. And so when someone uses those sayings, we can understand what they mean. Right? If somebody tells you, like, hey, the glass is half full, you're not going to be like, what? what glass? You understand what they're saying. Right? So we're going to hear and we're going to talk about an overtly common phrase that's tied to Christianity. But back when these words were first spoken, they were completely misunderstood. So we'll see that as we move along. So we first hear them in John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. We see a man named Nicodemus, and he comes to Jesus. And this man, Nicodemus, he wasn't just your typical first century man. He was a ruler of the Jews. That's what the Bible tells us. He was a member of the Sanhedrin and a man of knowledge. So this might even be somebody who in today's world like, would have a Ph.D., someone full of knowledge, someone in intellectual. And he, yet he comes to Jesus and he says this in verse 2. He says, Rabbi, acknowledging who Jesus is, 
He says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So right away, he's putting himself on the side of God. He's saying, I know who you are. Like, I've noticed, we, we've heard the things that you're doing, and I know that you've, you, God's got to be with you. And Jesus answered, and he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus comes to him, this man full of knowledge, and Jesus says, you're lacking something. You need something. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And you're probably familiar with this passage. What does Nicodemus do? What is his response to this? How? How can he be born again? It's one of those sayings, right? Like, what does that mean? How can you, can you enter into your mother's womb and be born twice? And Jesus repeats to him and says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, what's next? Of water and of spirit, he cannot. Exactly. <clears throat> Oh, sorry, there it is. How can a man be born when he's old, right? So Jesus answers and he tells him, right? This is how. This is how you're born again. This is what I mean. You have to be born of the water and of the spirit. Marvel not what I say unto thee. Ye must be born again. So why the new birth? Why must we be born again? Well, it's essential for salvation, that's the bottom line. And if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to be saved, then you have to be born again. Amen. So let's talk about what that looks like. What is born again? What does that mean? And, and although it may sound simple and it may sound simple to you and maybe you've heard these phrases all of your life, what does that look like in your life? Yeah. So first of all, why must we be born again? Why must we be saved? Because sin separates. Sin separates us from who? From God. So we all begin in the same position. Romans says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin separates us from the kingdom of God. Right? So in Galatians chapter 5, and I'm just going to paraphrase, it says, when you follow a sinful nature, you don't get to inherit the kingdom of God. There is a distinction there. There's a separation. And so we have to have some way to bridge that gap, right? Something has to have been done. And we know that that was bridged, that we were redeemed, we were saved by the works of who? Of the man, Jesus Christ. And so how does salvation in the new birth play into this? Well, salvation is just deliverance, right? On the basic level, it means we were delivered. But delivered from what? What were we delivered from? Well, there are several things that we were delivered from, right? So if salvation is a movement from a place of danger to a place of safety, then we can all look in our lives and know that there was once a time that I was in this place of danger. But through the works of Jesus Christ, he made a way so that I could move into a place of safety. So Colossians chapter 1 tells us that we are saved from the power of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. Right? Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? 
Again, we're moving from a place of danger to a place of safety. In Galatians chapter 1, it says, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. So not only are we delivered from the, the power of darkness, but we're also delivered from the present evil age. We're delivered even now as we live in, in this world. Not only do we get to inherit the kingdom of God someday in heaven and, and be with Christ eternally, but we also are delivered from this present evil age. Right? So, so God's delivered us from that because he gave himself for our sins. So 1 Peter chapter 1. Does someone want to read the, these two verses for me? For the Wilkins? Can you read them? They're right up here. You can read them real nice and <laughs> Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which, or I'm sorry, which by the gospel is preached unto you. Not only are you saved in this present life from sin, but there is one day at death, that the Holy Spirit living in you changes your corruptible body into an incorruptible body that will never die. That even as the, as the flower faded, that you're not promised that because you've been born again, because you have the Spirit living inside of you. And so you're being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That Spirit is in you because you have been born again. And so that gives you a hope for tomorrow that gives you a hope that someday if the trumpet sounds you will hear it and you will be raised incorruptible all right so how does new birth happen through faith and obedience so faith is the first step right in john chapter 8 jesus said if ye believe not that i am he ye shall die in your sins so you have to believe you have to have faith so what if i told you jessica i said i have a check for you for $100,000. Would you believe me? <laughs> now that's rude. <laughs> you would be right. I do not have $100,000 to give you. True. Let's say I was, you thought I was very rich. Would you then believe me? Yeah, maybe. Okay, so you could believe like, okay, yeah, she's got this for me. Does that mean that you get $100,000? No, why not? You believe that I have it for you. What did I do to deserve it? Oh, what did you do to deserve it? Nothing, nothing. You didn't do anything. This is just, I, I'm giving it to you. This is my gift to you. Do you, do you have it? Does she have it? No. no. She's got to take it. She's got to get up from her seat, come grab it from me. She's got to take it to the bank. She's got to sign it. They're all going to be astounded and be like... This is crazy, right? There's a lot of steps that she's got to take in order to actually get the $100,000, right? But the first step, she would believe, right? So let's say if she didn't believe me. She would just sit there, and she would not get the money from me because she didn't believe that I had it. And in this case, she would be right. I don't have it, right? But Hebrews tells us without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So the first step is to say, I believe that you are my Savior. I believe that you are God. I believe that you do have a gift for me that is free. Right? But faith initiates the process. But faith requires action. The Bible tells us that faith without works is what? Dead. 
right? If, if she really believed, then she would get up here and she would come and she would grab this check and she would run to the bank to cash it immediately, right? Because she had that kind of faith. She believed that it was real, right? So if we believe in Jesus, then we will obey his word. John chapter 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, then you keep my commandments. So obedience or disobedience to God reveals our relationship with God. If I love him, if I believe in him, then I obey his word, then I obey his commandments. So how does new birth happen? You have to be born again of the water and of the spirit, right? So we're going to break this down. First, born again of water. You have to be baptized in Jesus' name to be born again. In John 3, twice Jesus said, you must be born again. And he specifically said you have to be born again of water. Baptism is, being, is a part of being born again and of being saved. In Acts 2.38, who can quote that for me? Really fast, really loud. So Peter include, included baptism in that. In that answer, when they were pricked in their hearts and they said, what do we do? What do I do? What do I do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized. Baptism was a part of that. It was a part of being saved. In Mark 16, Jesus said that, that he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And then he doesn't believe shall be damned. So we understand that baptism is a part of salvation. In Romans 6, it says, therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death. And like as Christ was raised by the, up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so shall we walk in newness of life. If we be buried in baptism, just as he was dead, just as he was buried in a tomb, then he would be raised to life. It says, if you're baptized, if you're baptized into death, just like Christ, then you're going to walk again. You're going to be resurrected in the newness of life, which we'll get to that in a second. But part of being baptized is that essential piece of being baptized in Jesus' name because the power of baptism is our faith in his name. So every believer in the original church was baptized in the name of Jesus. And I'm not going to go through all of the scriptures. That's how many there are. That I don't want to spend the, the limited time we have going through this. They're up here if you want to study it yourself. But it's imperative that it's baptized in Jesus' name. That's the formula that we were given. Right? So just like Romans chapter 6 says, if you're buried with him in baptism, then you'll walk again in the newness of life. Then we are buried in baptism. We're also resurrected with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, they're both interchangeably used. They're both used in Scripture. They mean the same thing. Right? When you're born again of the Spirit, then that means that, that you have the infilling of the Holy Ghost inside of you. And that spirit that raised Christ from the dead, we know that there is one spirit. And God is that spirit. But that spirit lives in you. And that spirit is what resurrects you and gives you new life. You've probably all heard this said. But Jesus Christ didn't come to make good men better. He came to make dead men alive. And that's the newness of life that is promised to you when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That says, I was, I was dead in my sins. But I was buried 
into death and then I will walk in the newness of life when he fills me with his spirit and then I can receive that spirit too. So Jesus told Nicodemus that the spirit is part of being born again and the spirit is part of being saved. So the Holy Ghost is for everyone. It's for everyone, regardless of your position, regardless of what family you were born into, regardless of of what you may look like or how you were raised, what culture you came from. The Spirit is for every single person. In John chapter 7, it says this, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. If you believe on him, then you should receive the Spirit. Regardless of who you are, if you believe and you obey, and you ask, you receive it. It's a gift. Not because you deserve it, right? Not because you've done anything to deserve it, but because it is a gift. It is a free gift for every person. If you want it, it is yours. You just have to step out and take it. Run to the bank and cash it in. Right? Acts chapter 5, verse 32 says, The Holy Ghost, who God hath given to him that obey." Again, it's a free gift. Luke 11 says, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Not them that, that have it all together. Not them that, that are smart enough. Not them that, that are perfect. Not them that have never sinned. Not them that, that show up to church 30 minutes early every service. Not them. Not, no, there's no stipulations on this. It's them that ask. That's the only stipulation to say that I have a hungry heart and all that I want is to be born again. All that I want is to walk in the newness of life, is to live again and to breathe again and and to hope again. Then you ask and he'll give it to you, right? Peter was prejudiced at one time and God had to snap him out of that so that he would go and preach to Gentiles because God's saying this gift is for everyone. Everyone that asks, everyone that receives, you have a, a free gift. So how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus said that speaking in tongues is a sign of a believer filled with his spirit. And if you have not encountered it, you will probably encounter it. This is one of those things that I think a lot of people have questions over. Some people start to stumble over it and they think, well, I thought speaking in tongues was just a gift. Well, it is a free gift. But it's a sign of being filled with the Spirit. Mark 16 tells, These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall speak with new tongues. Right? And the Bible gives accounts that every person who was initially filled with the Spirit, they were shown, they were filled by the evidence of tongues. Right? So, if signs, if the sign of the initial filling of the Spirit is speaking in tongues, right? As the Spirit gives the utterance, That is the sign of the infilling of the Spirit. But the next step of being born again is having the indwelling of the Spirit. And just as much as your tongue is controlled in the infilling, it is in the indwelling as well. So I'm not sure where I got this. Probably Brother Kilman. Brother Kershaw. Wow. Um. <laughs> if you see a grocery store on the side of the road and it has a sign outside that says grocery store what is it? a grocery store and you go in 
but they don't have any fruit on the shelves. It's not a grocery store. If they don't have any produce that you can buy, you're going to say, this is not a grocery store. So if you have the initial sign out front that said, I'm speaking in tongues, I've been infilled with the Spirit, I have the Spirit, but I go inside and there's no fruit in your life, then you don't have the Spirit. And so being born again is not just being infilled with the Spirit, but it's having the Spirit indwell in you. Right? Galatians 5 tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Right? Those are the things that should be living inside of us. It says in Galatians, it goes on to say, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If I've been born again, then I have a new life. Then suddenly I have, I have the fruit of the Spirit. I have to have love and joy and patience. And I have to have these things living inside of my life. Because when you have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, when you've been born again, that changes the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you talk. And just as much as it, it takes control of your tongue and, and you begin to speak in a language that you don't know, then it also should bridle your tongue when you talk about your brother or your sister. Right? That's how the Holy Spirit works in your life, is to say, this is the way that I was, but I'm no longer that way anymore. I, I used to walk a certain way. I used to talk a certain way, but I've been born again. Romans chapter 6 is one of my favorite passages. It talks about the deliverance from the power of, of indwelling sin. If you have your Bibles, it would probably be helpful to turn there. I'm going to read a, f- a few verses. And Paul is writing to the church. He says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Right, if you're dead to sin, if you've been born again, how do you live in it anymore? You don't. He says, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ, we are raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also walk in the newness of life. We've been born again. We're no longer dead in our sins. We no longer live in, in our sin. He says, for we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Right. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. For if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And then he goes on to talk about yielding the new life to God. Likewise, reckon ye also to yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Likewise, you're dead to the things of this world. You're, you, you're dead to sin. You're dead to the way that you've been living. And now you have newness of life. Now you live in a way that obeys the Lord. It says, let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey in the lust thereof. Right. Neither yield ye members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God 
as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Right? He said, as those who are alive from the dead, you've been resurrected, you've been born again, now you have a new way to walk, a new way to live. Not Now your body isn't subject to sin anymore, but it's instruments of righteousness. That's what you should be, is an instrument of righteousness. In verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So you could say, well, I've been born again. I've taken advantage of the grace, the mercy that God has to offer. But if you've been born again, then you do away with the old man. You do away with the sin. You do away with the things of the past, and you say, well, well, now I'm going to be that instrument of righteousness. Right, verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that formed the doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Does this sound familiar? I feel like he's kind of saying the same thing. He's saying you're servants of righteousness. You're instruments of righteousness. You've changed. Your life has been changed because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Right? And so he goes on to say um, that you have infirmity in your flesh, but now you've yielded your, your body to the Lord. You've yielded your life to the Lord. And you were servants of sin, but now you're free. You're free unto righteousness. Now that you've been born again, you have freedom. You have hope. Why the new birth? Because you can finally be free from sin and the effects of sin on your life. Romans 8 tells us, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. The law that you used to have to live under Jesus Christ made a way so that you can live free from the effects of sin, free from sin, right? Why the new birth? Because it's the only way to experience freedom. It's the only way to truly have liberty. Because where the the Lord, now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's true liberty. That's true freedom. Freedom is being free to be who you were made to be. So you can be free, and you can have a new life. Why the new birth? Because it's the only way to hope. Right? Right? And when I've been born again, when I've been saved, now I have a hope. Now I have a hope to cling to. This is, now I have the spirit living inside of me. That someday, the corruptible will change to incorruptible. That someday I can hope again, because there are people in heaven waiting for me. Because God is ready for us to be reunited eternally. He can now change my body into the incorruptible because I have the spirit living inside of me because I've been born again. Right? Your whole life changes in one experience. The new birth. And suddenly you're not who you used to be. Paul says, such were some of you. Such were some of you, but now you're not. Now Christ has redeemed you. Now he's picking you, he's picked you up from miry clay. He's shaped you. 
And even in your iniquity, he died and he said, I'm going to make a way so that you can live again, so you can walk in the newness of life. And now that you have the spirit indwelling in you, it changes the way that you walk. It changes the way that you interact. It changes the way that you think. And now you walk after the spirit. You don't walk after the way of man. You walk after the way of the Lord. You say, now I'm going to live my life differently. And now I have joy and I have peace and I have hope because I've been born again. And that's something that I hope that we never forget. I hope that's something that we never lose touch of to say that, man, I'm, I'm so thankful that I've been born again. That I don't have to act the way that I used to act. I don't have to talk the way that I used to talk. But now I can have love and I can have joy and I can have peace. And so people say, well, should I be born again? No, you get to be born again. You get to be born again. You don't have to live in sin. You don't have to die in your sins. But when you have faith and you have obedience and then you repent and be baptized in Jesus' name and you're filled with the Holy Ghost, not only do you have a hope for another life, but he helps you in this life as well. And he makes you free from sin. So you live out your days free from sin, and that one day you get to be reunited with him. And I'm so thankful for that. There's something about being born again that should change you. The evidence should be there. But why, why the new birth? Why is this important? Why does this matter? At the end of the day, I want to stand before the Lord and take account for my actions. And I want to be able to say that I've been born again. That I took advantage of the free gift that he had to offer. And I want to live out my days here on earth in righteousness, justified, sanctified, so that I can walk with him here, so that I can walk with him there. Why don't we all bow our heads? Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us access to your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, that you've saved us, that you've redeemed us, God, that you bought us with a price. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us access. You've given us a way to have new life, that we can walk in the newness of life, that we can walk in your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit was made way, God, for us. That we can walk differently. That we can act differently. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us joy. And you've given us peace. You've given us liberty. That we can worship freely. And I thank you, Lord, for your new birth. I thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done. Thank you, Lord, for your plan and your way of salvation. And I pray and I hope, God, that each and every person in here, oh Lord, is reminded again of the gracious gift that you've given us. And the freedom and the hope that you have for us in new birth and in new life.